Hey there, folks, live from downtown Sydney. This is Always Be Watching. This is our podcast where, look, it's right there on the tin. We talk about what we've been watching because we're always doing it. My name is Dan Barrett. I'm joined by Mr. Christopher Yates. Chris, how the heck are you doing? I'm real good, Dan. I've had a great week. I'm feeling pumped to talk about television with you. Look, I'm psyched to talk about TV. I'm feeling limber. I'm right, for, like, I'm ready for it. Excellent. I'm hoping you've got a little bit of a quiz for me today as part of our TV Masters. Uh, ongoing f- fantastic quiz type segment? Look, absolutely do. And I've got a bit of a humdinger for you. So strap yourself in. It's going to be amazing. So here's the thing. If you've never listened to the podcast before, premise is incredibly simple. Two guys, middle-aged, talking about television. We're radically revolutionizing the podcast format. <laughs> <laughs> the entire industry has been shaken to its core, but we're here. We're going to talk about the TV we've been watching just a couple of shows, not necessarily the newest shows, although I've got some pretty new shows. It's really just, you know, what's happened upon our eyeballs during the week. We usually wrap things up with a quiz. You know, we liven things up. So essentially <laughs> we sort of, we lull people down. We get yeah. them to the lowest possible level of engagement. And then we just bring them right back up again with a quiz. And then say, see you next week. Just like all the great shows with their cliffhangers to keep you, keep you on the edge of your seat. That's exactly it. Yeah. So I'll be stepping out of the shower and they'd be like, what? And then, you know, <laughs> to be continued, who knows what happens. Let's get going with this, Chris. We've got shows. Do you want to kick us off? What have you been watching? I am going to start by talking about a, an Australian production that I watched called Mint Condition. You know, I think my first love was... Doesn't matter. What? No, it'll sound stupid. Try me. My first feelings of actual love for a record. Chris, the one thing I know for a fact is when you introduce the phrase, here's an Australian production I've been watching, that is definitely where people get fully engaged and they, they really want to know more. But Chris, tell me <laughs> what the heck's the show about? Because I know nothing about it. Uh, a friend put me onto this show or I wouldn't have known anything about it. It's called um, Mint Condition. It is an online series on the platform Vimeo. It's a drama um, based around Melbourne record stores, well, one record store in particular, and the kind of live music scene there. Um, it's got a bunch of names of people you would have heard of, like Bernard Curry, uh, Gary Sweet, um, uh, Damien Richardson. I don't know all of these people. Sibylla Blood, Sibylla Blood, Bud, ugh. Um, who is the, the lead star who I've seen before in something, but I didn't look it up. I'm sure you know who she is. Um, and the interesting thing about this show, and one of the main reasons I wanted to talk about it, Dan, is because it has been made available on the Vimeo platform as a downloadable series of, I think, 10 episodes, or maybe not that many, that um, are 11 minutes long. This is an interesting format idea, especially for a kind of a show that's basically essentially a soap opera. I've got a bunch of you. I guess I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit. It's a relationship drama, basically. Uh, there's a woman in her 40s, I'm guessing, probably maybe 30s, sorry, lady. And um, she runs a record store uh, and the record store is called Mint Condition. She's moved from Sydney to Melbourne with her 14-year-old daughter who is not happy about the move. And um, in the first episode, we are introduced to what can only be uh, assumed as the romantic lead and he comes in the record store to sell a bunch of his records. Um, and she uh, negotiates with him fiercely. And, uh, they, they, you know, it's just this kind of like very strange scene. And then um, uh, that's where they kind of start to get to know each other. And uh, it becomes apparent that he's a, an ex-musician, a washed up uh, musician, like a washed up singer from an 80s rock band who doesn't want to talk about it, of course. I don't want to talk about those days. That's all behind me. Um, not really with that bad American accent, but you get the idea. Um, so it, the, the, uh, it's, it's, it's a difficult proposition, these kind of things, because whenever you try and do something that's kind of like subculture based or something like that, you know, you're always, uh, it's always hard to figure out where it's actually pitched. Like it, if it's pitched at people who are actually part of that scene in Melbourne who are involved in it, then, you know, you've got to do it pretty st- you've got to you've got to make sure you know what you're doing otherwise they're just going to see it as a cheesy thing and that's kind of where it falls down i think they haven't really like it's obvious that these people kind of know the area and you know where the record stores are but how much actual record store 
kind of culture they went and sucked up themselves before writing it is kind of doubtful and the um or, or it doesn't come across anyway it, it all comes across as kind of very naive and this whole sort of um scenery is just used as as scenery the setting um but the other problem is of course if you make it too niche and you, you aim too much at those sort of little communities then you're going to alienate anybody else who might want to watch it and it's not very interesting for anybody who's not madly obsessed with Melbourne bands and records, but it is, a, it is also an opportunity to showcase artists and they've done a little bit of that, which is, I think timely. I, I noticed they got a write up in NME and something else when I was Googling, um, looking for it before, uh, which is, you know, probably worked out quite well for them because people are quite nostalgic for the time when they used to go and see bands three months ago and really want to start doing that again. So, you know, maybe it'll pick up a bit of traction there, but I, I'm assuming you haven't seen this show. Look, I haven't seen the show and I'll admit I haven't even really heard of the show before. Now, the thing is with any TV show and whether this is something that's produced for the web or if it's a professional endeavor, you're essentially, I think when you go too broad with anything, you lose the sense of storyline and any sort of specificity that your story is telling. It just becomes generic and bland and not really that engaging. Sure. So you want to avoid that and you want to make things feel as specific as possible. But you just can't get so specific that it feels like an in-joke. That yeah, that's it, Outside of the scene can't really quite latch into it. So, I mean, that's always the challenge. And particularly with independent uh, productions, I think it's quite easy to fall into that trap because there's few few gatekeepers that you really pass through. Any TV show and even movies where you've got finances involved and sort of various levels of producers that generally tend to sort of fall into the mix will often sort of give feedback along the way. And even if the yeah. writer, director, it could be a writer slash director, has like the sort of full artistic vision of it all, they'll still hear other people's voices say, hey, look, you know, is there a chance of maybe sort of broadening this out? I don't really get this. Yeah, Can you yeah, explain yeah. it to me? Yeah. And sort of through just even casual conversations, it's possible to grow that out. But when you are dealing with something which is a fairly small production where the lead time between writing it to actually producing it might be sort of fairly small, there may not be those conversations taking place. There may be such a small crew and a small amount of money involved that there's very few voices to really offer that feedback as well. You know, this is, I think, maybe when things can fall into in-joke territory. Now that I haven't seen this, it's just reacting to what you were yeah. talking about with the idea of yeah. feeling a bit too niche. Yeah, I mean, I'll admit, I don't really find myself that engaged by web series generally. And we were talking about this a few weeks ago yeah. when I was discussing Quibi, which is the new streaming platform of uh, serialized like five to 10 minute like shorts. Yeah. Uh, but essentially what I think maybe works about Quibi is that it's a large budget and it didn't necessarily feel like a attempt to do independent television, but really it was just a way to maybe sort of harness the spirit of uh, it's the way I viewed it at least. And I don't know if anyone thought about it internally this way, but it was very much a throwback to like the movie serials back in the day. Mm. And so I noticed a lot of the sort of beats and rhythms were very similar to that. And web series generally, I think maybe fall into the trap where they have to achieve a lot on an individual episode basis. And Quibi was smart in that they avoided the actual structure that I think is yeah. generally perceived as being needed. And so that's an introduction. This is a body of storyline and then some sort of cliffhanger at the end or some sort of wrap up or yeah. some sort of entree so that people click on that next episode. I think Quibi decided to be a bit ballsy about it and just had things sort of fairly open-ended. It wasn't quite cliffhangers in the same way. It sort of was an ongoing storyline. They could watch chapter after chapter and it just make a full story as opposed to, I think, most web series, which is the idea of what happens next week yeah. and actually getting people to click through. And it's yeah. a challenge. And I find that within, you know, let's say it's 10 minutes to achieve so much in such a short time frame, I think is just, um, what's the word I want to talk about? It's sort of counter to what most storytelling is doing, which is try to actually get you involved in the story. Yeah. Like, and I think, I don't think this thing did too bad a job of that. Like, you know, I'm quite a big fan of soap operas with they're done. I'm quite a big fan of soaps. If they, you know, if they hit the marks of things that don't have to be done well, they just have to be relatively interesting to me. And I, and I like a few of the characters. So, you know, like. Absolutely. And, and soap doesn't need to be like neighbors or days of our lives. Like elements of soap yeah. is found in a lot of serialized drama as well. Like, you know, like yeah, HBO, dramas like game of thrones was a soap in so many ways yeah and i really enjoyed that um abc series the heights was that what it was called dan about the yeah yeah yeah, that's one. yeah. i really liked that last year i think you know i don't think it quite hit the mark either it was i think it was trying to be a little bit loftier than what it needed to as far as you know i, I would have been uh i was really appreciating on the storytelling soap sort of aspects and and um 
And this one, I don't think hits the mark. Mint Condition doesn't quite hit the mark either. But it does, you know, I, I was interested in the characters. I mean, it's something I've, I've lived in Melbourne for a few years and been part of that world. And I really, you know, I really miss elements of that. Um, not living in Melbourne, but I miss some of the elements of that stuff. Um, so it was... The community. It was, yeah, yeah, absolutely, you know, which is a massive thing there. And it didn't, that sort of sense of it didn't really, yeah, it didn't really tap into that sort of side of it too much, I think, because it was trying to be a relationship. Look, and it's trying to do... You know, I don't expect it to do too much and it's a little 10 minute blocks. I guess the other question I had for you is like, you know, I'm, I've put up my own music on platforms where you can buy it and that kind of stuff. And I, I know that it's a small, it's very hard to get people interested in your stuff. And, you know, you're not making a lot of money out of it. Could these guys actually make money out of selling the show for $10 for the season of, of like five episodes? Or do you think they've probably... It got the, I got the impression watching it that it was something that they were probably trying to, they probably produced to get funding to make a bigger series. Um, but is, it, is there a potential, do you think, to make money out of a show like this? Look, here's the thing. So I'm a big fan of DIY. Like I really like the idea of musicians if they don't, you know, have a record deal that they'll just go and produce their own stuff. And you're actually creating stuff for the sake of making art as opposed to actually the commerce side of things. Yeah. So big believer in that with music. I like independent film. I like the actual sort of spirit of filmmakers who are trying to get out there and actually just produce work that is actually meaningful to them that they don't necessarily have to go through as many gatekeepers like I was talking about earlier and totally. have a very yeah, sort yeah, of authentic yeah. sense of voice. Um, like I've watched a lot of indie films over the years and I generally tend to prefer that more than, you know, a lot of big budget stuff. Yeah. You know, that's definitely where my heart and my spirit is. I think that serialized television is a incredibly rough game to try to make your, make it go out independent film. Like, wow, you know, there's no sort of specific structure. There are structures in place to be able to distribute yeah. an indie film to be able to consume an indie film. And there's a market that's kind of ready there for it. Independent television is a little bit different where you've got just, first of all, from a viewer perspective, you've got so much TV to watch and yep. the idea of layering in like independent productions on top, like that's pretty daunting. You don't necessarily have a mechanism. Like there are places like YouTube and Vimeo that you can go to and find a lot of these productions have been uploaded there, but you don't really know where to start. Like you yeah, know, there's yeah. a lot of like the, the barriers to entry there are really quite tough. Somebody has so to I really guess, tell you about it and recommend it yeah. as, as, as was done to me. Absolutely. And thinking about something like Vimeo, uh, if you think about like High Maintenance, the HBO show, yeah, yeah. like that started out as an indie production that they put up on Vimeo, was selling the season there and that got picked up right. by HBO and they turned it into something. The number of shows that do that are actually really quite small yeah. compared to the number <laughs> of independent productions that are out there doing that. So that's obviously the dream you want to try to achieve, yeah. but it's not necessarily the reality for almost everybody. So, I mean, I would really say that the question to frame it is, can people make a go at this and actually, you know, turn this into a profitable enterprise? I feel that the answer to that is probably no. But yeah. my question is, what's the actual spirit of intent in making this? Are you doing it with the idea that you want to try to turn this into a business and that this is like an ongoing um, like proposition. Yeah. And if you're doing that, you have to do so much more than just upload the video to a platform. You really need to be out there and really just be pushing your wares wherever you can and try to tap into your local community and try to build a sense of buzz and interest around it. Like there's a lot of work that goes into getting that up and running that way. But also like maybe this is just something where you've gone out and you've produced a serialized thing with the idea that you want to sell that format to, you know, a Netflix or, you know, yeah. some sort of TV broadcaster, like try to get that happening that way. Or maybe it's just a thing to say that, Hey, look, I can write a narrative uh, scripts and thing that can last over 10 episodes. Here's the coherence of the story. Here's the uh, strong, um, strong characters. And you can see the character growth take place over this and just use it as a, call, as a calling cards for your next project. So that when you're trying to get funding from whatever funding body in Australia, if you've gone to say like Stan, the local streamer and said, Hey, look, I've got an idea for a six episode series. And they're like, well, what have you made before? Here, yeah, this yeah, is what yeah. I've made before. And you can actually show that it's not just a short film that you've made, but really you actually know what you're doing with serialized fiction. And so, I mean, that's a very good reason to make something like this. Yeah. But I think the actual idea of, Hey, I'm going to produce a six to 10 episode series and actually get it out there in the world and just assume that people will actually find it or, you know, be willing to even pay for it. I think that is such an incredibly hard ask. The other thing is, um, you know, it's obviously spot shining a bit of a spotlight on the music scene. And I think that will then in turn, you know, provide a little bit of exposure for the series through that. Like there's a bunch of bands that are an artists like Mick Thomas from wedding parties, anything is in it. And he's got 
a big following and a high profile few um, bands that I know are quite popular, like Jade Imagine, um, Number One Dads. Like there's some, you know, there's some names in it that I've heard of. There's people that will, I'm sure, be talking, you know, putting it out there. And they it does feature like short live performances amongst this 11 minutes of that. So it, it might have a little bit of, um, you know, it might get a little bit of traction there and it might get some people thinking about it there. But uh, yeah, I think essentially it's a really good idea. I, I would like to, I'd love to see a show like this, you know, like I watched it straight away out of sort of interest because, uh, you know, it is sort of a, a, a ripe, a fertile ground, I think, for uh, for setting a series like this. But um yeah, I really just wanted to sort of talk to you about the about how it about what the possibilities and potential for doing this kind of thing are because it's interesting. I haven't I haven't really um, seen anything like that. I haven't seen a lot of things like that in Australia. I guess my, one other question, just quickly, would be: Do you think that they're you know bearing in mind that you're probably not going to make that much money out of it? Is putting a ten dollar price tag on the download a good idea, or is that just deterring people from actually seeing Look, it? I mean. I think there's probably all sorts of reasons why you'd probably want to put the ten dollars on there. So, first of all, ten dollars. So the business. Okay. So the question for you: the business model is how many episodes? I think it's. I've said it. Uh, hang on a second. I'll tell you. I think it's six. Okay, six episodes, and what you pay ten dollars for the full season? Is yeah, that yeah, yeah. Generally, yeah. So I mean, I think something like that. One, it puts a value proposition on your work. It's not just yet another yes. free thing that you've come across around the place. Uh, to, as you said, like there's a strong community in Melbourne of musicians and fans of those musicians who might gravitate to that. That's where that value proposition comes into it. Sure, so yeah. when they see that, it's like, oh, well, it's not just a free thing. I've got to pay, printing up some cash for it. And that's the cost of like a, you know, Bandcamp download effect. Yeah, that's so, right. It's not that far removed for those people that are used to sort of supporting independent music, I guess. Yeah. So I think value Five proposition is... Five episodes, yeah, that's fine. You know, two bucks an episode, yeah, effectively. I, I think for that, like, that's perfectly fine. It's probably a bit of a barrier entry for someone like, say, me, who doesn't necessarily know anyone who's involved in it, hasn't necessarily had it sold to me in any specific way. If I stumbled across it on Vimeo, like, the likelihood of me poning up like ten bucks yeah, yeah. is probably slim. Yeah, but you know, maybe catch me late at night. Who knows how it's actually sort of going to play out? But yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say that generally, again, it comes down to really what you want to use it for. So for me, if I was using it as a calling card, I'd probably still put it out there with this $10 idea because, you know, even if you make a little bit of money off it, that's still a little bit of money. You've spent money actually producing this thing and it'd be nice to be able to offset that cost. Yeah, it has yeah. it has decent production values and, and like a, quite a decent sized crew and, you know, I'm sure um, and, and very, you know, kind of some name talent in there as well. So, yeah, I'm sure it wasn't, uh, I'm sure that there was an investment involved for sure. Yeah, I think the reality is, is that anyone who is generally appreciative of art understands that there's a cost involved in it these days. And increasingly, I think that people realize that they need to pay for good stuff to one, be made, and two, to continue to be made. So that's Mint Condition, Australian production on Vimeo, pay on demand. Um, I don't know heaps about the people that have made it. Uh, the co-producer is called Linda Wilkinson. Um, and yeah, um, they've done an interesting job and I'm keen to see more of it. Yeah, fantastic. I'll definitely give this one a look. What have you been watching, Dan? Chris, I want to talk to you about a new miniseries called The Great. She was a goddess. Extraordinary. Powerful. No one like her. Strangely, I felt paralyzed whenever she was around. Someone should work out what goes on between a chap and his mother. There'd be money in that. I suppose so. All right, that's done. Where shall we go now? I have men's things. Madame Georgina Dimov. Emperor. Take the Empress to the other ladies and speak of hats. Of course. It may indeed be pleasant to have a wife. Well, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is pleasant. Belementov, come here, you fat fuck. <laughs> come here. Chris, this is a costume drama retelling of the 18th century story of Catherine the Great as she gets married off by her family to become the wife of Emperor Peter III of Russia. Wait, 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 wait. Wake up. It's okay. (laughs) Here's the thing. The show, it is all of that, but the script and the filming style, it's like hella contemporary. It's got modern language. It's got dirty jokes. It's got swear words. It's got sex. It's got threesomes. You want it. This show has got it. Chris, I'm absolutely into the greats in a way that I really did not expect I'd be into it in any possible way. Was like, oh, what is this? When you sent it to me and said you were going to be talking about it. And I looked it up and I was like, man, I need to watch this as soon as possible. It looks great. Well, here's the thing. So you've got Elle Fanning in the lead role. She plays Catherine, funnily enough. Uh, she's ridiculously charming in it. 
She's effectively a naive woman who walks really confidently into Peter III's castle. She expects to meet the man who's written her some lovely letters. And she's really expecting now she's going to live the life that's befitting of a queen. But what she gets instead is a right shit of a man. He immediately starts pulling a prank on her to amuse his frat boy buddies who are giggling along behind him. He's selfish. He's dumb. He's brash. He's a complete egotist. Uh, so is this character played by Nicholas Holt. And it is goddamn hilarious. Uh, because I'm, I'm just not as period dramas. And that was really the big thing. I sat down and thought, this is going to be another thing where they try to contemporize something a little bit. I'm expecting it to be a bit like, uh, say, like the... Um, as Lerman's Romeo and Juliet? Well, yeah, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about like Marie Antoinette being the uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Sophia Coppola film. I was expecting it to be a little bit like that. Um, I don't really care for the powdered wigs. I don't really care for men wearing tights. Actually, no, that's not true. I really like men wearing tights if they're also fighting the Joker or Lex Luthor. <laughs> but otherwise, it's really just not for me. Plus, you uh, like the movie Men in Tights. I know you do. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I've got to tell you, I watched the first episode for this and I legitimately laughed out loud a whole bunch of times. And I'm absolutely ready now to burn through the entire rest of the season. And I say this with all sincerity. All sincerity. Oh, I can't even say the word. That's how little I actually generally trade in this. <laughs> all sincerity. It's marvelous. Could be the first time you've said anything with any sincerity whatsoever. Um, that's yeah. that's actually quite true. Yeah, it looks really funny. When you say contemporize, it hasn't been Romeo and Juliet. As in in the modern day, has it? It's just the take on it is. Um, no, absolutely. A, a, Essentially. Uh, They've, they've stripped away all the flowery sort of wanky words and um, thoughts and expression. And really it just feels like it's modern day people wearing this ridiculous costume garb, but also stuck with the confines of what life and society and how the operation of that took place in that time period. But the general vibe of it is very contemporary feeling. Uh, how long are the episodes? Uh, look, so I think like, that's actually a really good question. Question, question without notice. I think I watched, I think it was like 15 minute episodes. Yeah, right. It was, like it was a proper, it was a proper hour show. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, I didn't really, I didn't even acknowledge that it was like going for that long because it felt very quick and incredibly well paced. Um, so this is a new series out now. Is there going to be a second season? Do you know? Well, my understanding is that it's just a mini series. So it's been produced for Hulu in the US. In Australia, we've got it here streaming on Stan. Uh, there's a bit of an Australian connection to it. So the series is actually created by Tony McNamara. He's a Australian uh, writer, director, um, playwright, uh, probably best known recently for he's got a show on Channel 9 called Doctor Doctor, oh, right. which is probably... Have you ever watched that? No. I've, I've, I've been bombarded with promos while watching... Lego Masters on catch up. Yeah. Uh, the thing with Dr. Doctor is it's better than you think it is. It, w- it would have to be. Yeah. <laughs> There's a very specific sort of uh, vibe that I think comes up through the marketing of Dr. Doctor. And I've only seen like the first couple of early episodes of the series run, but I remember being quite, yeah, I remember being quite substantially better than I was really expecting. The characters were a lot more interesting. The situation was yeah. a little bit more sort of darker and nuanced than your traditional Australian primetime TV drama. Yeah, that's certainly what it looks like in the promos. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's better than that, but it's not like it, it's never going to become your favorite show by any means. But I think if you watch, you'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. Uh, so he's the writer of this show. So he's the writer of this. So he was also a co writer of The Favourite, which was the Academy Award nominated film with the Olivia Coleman in it from oh, like about two yes. years ago now. For which she won the Academy Award, right? Yeah. So I think she won, and then he was nominated for writing with his co writer whose name I did wow. not write down for that. Deborah Davis. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> you think I, you, you doubt me because you think I'm thinking of it off the top of my head, but I know I looked it up. Um, yeah, no, it's just that I remember looking it up a couple of days ago and that name didn't seem right to me from the name that I had looked up, but I'm looking at oh, it now. Well, it's absolutely what... right. Yeah, good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I may not know anything about this stuff, Dan, but I can <laughs> Google. Yeah, but I just want to recommend if you're not really into this kind of thing generally, check out The Great because they're doing some very interesting stuff in here. Like literally I laughed out loud and how regular does that happen? That's right. Not very much. This is a um, this is on Stan in Australia mm. um, and I haven't, I've disconnected my Stan account over the last few months. I've also disconnected my Stan I'd watch, I'd like, I've watched, I felt like I'd watched everything there was to watch on stand, but there's quite, there's a couple of things on there now. Uh, and that's what I've sort of noticed is, you know, probably going to become a bit of a pattern. Like I've also switched off my Disney plus since the, um, 
because uh, the children were driving me crazy and now it's just easier to say, no, Disney doesn't exist anymore. Sorry, kids. <laughs> um, Daddy killed Disney um, rather than have to watch uh, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse again. You terrible, but, um, terrible man. But no, I, th- I remember you saying this ages ago when people were sort of starting to complain about, oh, now I'm going to have to spend 60 bucks a month on all these services and if you add them all up and stuff. And it's like, you really don't have to do that. You know, like the the amount of new content that goes on isn't that frequent that you constantly need to have. Well, I, I know you do, but um, that you that any normal person needs to have access to every kind of possible thing. And it's quite a uh, liberating feeling to be able to just sort of jump around and pick and choose when there's something new you want to watch, clock in for another month, see what else is in there and then switch it off again. Like, I mean, this is the thing as well, which is that people only have so many hours in a day. Yeah, exactly. And how much TV do you think you're really watching any given week? So, you know, just yeah. realize, hey, there's three or four shows I'd like to check out. Most shows you don't really need to watch at the same time as everybody else. Not everything's The Mandalorian. Not everything's Doctor Doctor. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so just pick um, and choose. Yeah, and and it's a. Um, oh, I'm interested to hear you let your stand lapse. I have never let my Netflix lapse, incidentally, which is interesting. I guess that's always just been slow burning there, and it's not like it, there's always a million things I want to watch. But I guess it's just nice knowing you've got something. Uh, yeah, something waiting for you there. I find with Netflix, there's always at least one thing every month that I want to watch, and whether that's a new show or a movie or. Yeah, there's always something. Exactly. I mean, they've got a massive library, obviously, and they're circling through it uh, quickly. But anyway, yeah, this could be enough to get me back on stand for at least a month and check out those few things that I haven't uh, had a chance to look at yet. Yeah, so I know on Hulu they release all the episodes at once, and they usually tend to echo that on stand when that's you know possible. Yeah, so, I'm logged in. They've definitely got the ten episodes on there. So yeah, so you know maybe get yourself a free trial and burn through them, and then yeah, get on with your day. I'll sign up my child. Yeah. Is that legal? Uh, as long as I've got a credit card, sure. <laughs> Chris Yates, you've watched more things. What have you been watching? Okay. The other program, Dan, that I wanted to talk about watching this week is a program that I th- I feel like you might have touched on once before in the podcast, and I apologize if I'm doubling up. I didn't bother to check because that would have taken precious minutes out of my day. I have been watching the program Avenue 5. Passengers are angry. We've got an S storm brewing, and this a hole is not helping. She's my favorite. Is she? I suppose you are head of mission control, and I guess what they're saying is that you're not in control of the mission. Okay, Chris. I feel that I've talked about this on the podcast before, and I remember being very disappointed with what I'd seen. Look, it's a big, it's a hefty prospect. Okay, so a bit of context. Armando Iannucci created, wrote, directed this show, the first episode at least. I'm sure there's other writers and directors come on board. Um, first episode's all I've watched, but it's his little brainchild. Uh, his other brainchilds, of course, brain children in the past have included the program Veep, which was, of course, based on The Thick of It. Yep, heard of it. Um, the UK show. These shows are, you know, mind-blowingly good some of the best television we've had in the, on our TV in the last decade. Previous to that, in the previous decade, we, he was responsible for such shows as I'm Alan Partridge and the, and the Armando Iannucci shows. Like I'm talking about, these are, these are some of my like all time favorite top of the shelf, absolute classic television experiences that I've watched over and over again. So I had you and I had another friend of mine who's also a big fan of um, Iannucci come at me and just go like, Ugh, you're going to hate it. It's terrible. So I didn't even bother watching it for ages. And then I hit a little uh, peak of boredom in this isolation that we're in and trying to find something with my partner who will tolerate certain um, whimsical science fiction experiences with me and stumbled across this. And um, although I haven't actually watched it with her yet, I was I watched the first episode very recently, as in a few hours ago. And geez, I don't know if it was because my expectations were really low, but I thoroughly enjoyed the first episode. I laughed out loud a bunch of times. I was incredibly impressed with the cast and God, I don't know. What do, what do, what do you hate about it? Like, and I don't want you to spoil anything for me because I am going to pers- persevere and I, I, mean, I am going to watch it all now. Um, yeah. I'm curious as to what didn't, what you felt didn't work so well. So I felt that the concept was perfectly interesting. And I think that it's a uh, framework which provides the opportunity for laughs and mayhem and, you know, just general shenanigans. 
I'm not sure the framework necessarily fits right for what I feel that a Armando Inichi show is, but also maybe that's just like putting him in a box that he doesn't deserve to be in. So whatever. But taking away from that, I just don't think the jokes were there. Like I, like you said, you laughed out loud several times and I'm legitimately, yeah. I don't understand how that's possible because I could not have been less <laughs> impressed with the comedy in this. I can even point out a few of the specific moments. I really enjoyed Hugh Laurie's uh, revelation where he was a, that he was in fact British, um, to which he revealed by not just turning into his British accent, by, but by doing a fully fledged Basil Fawlty impersonation, which I thought was absolutely deliberate and made me laugh. I thought that um, I'm just getting the um, cast up now because all these people are those kind of people that I... Um, no, I can't just say that dude from The Office. Look, I mean, um, the other thing is I'm hesitant at the moment to want to sort of lay in too much about what I feel that I didn't like about it, purely because it's been months now since I saw that first yeah, episode. Sure. And, like, my actual recall of it is incredibly light on. I just remember the experience of sitting down watching it, which was that I was convinced that the, you know, it's an Iannucci show, it's going to be great, and then it just wasn't. And I remember sitting through there just waiting for the episode to pick up. I'm like, oh, just like a slow introduction to it. But it just never quite found a voice. And I never like continued past that first episode purely because it's like, well. Uh, see, well, maybe that maybe this is maybe this is your problem and maybe it gets really funny. I don't know. But um, the uh, anyway, it, just, to, just to touch on the cast again, because I feel like this really put it over the top for me. But, you know, there's obviously a lot of... Um, uh, references to there's people that have been in 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 each shows like um, Rebecca Front, who was the um, second minister from the thick of it, uh, who's been in heaps of um, Steve Coogan stuff, and she's very 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 funny. Uh, and having her teamed up as husband and wife with um, Andy Buckley, whose name is not at all familiar, but you will know him well, Dan, as David Wallace from The Office, um, our favorite TV show. Yes, sir. Um, well, let's not go so, too crazy, but sure. You know, those guys are fantastic. Seeing those two together, they, they, like every scene with her was very was funny, I thought. Um, Zach Woods from uh, The Office as well as the sort of uh, relations with the, the customer service guy who uh, considers himself a nihilist and doesn't really have a very good grasp of customer service at all. And then, yeah, Hugh Laurie, um, Lenora Critchlow, who I recognise but I couldn't actually... Um, I didn't actually know what from, but uh, a British actress. She's fantastic. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really found a lot to like about this first episode. So, But um, another thing that I was thinking about just before too is maybe because my expectations were dashed and maybe because I you know, was coming into it with such low expectations on bad, rec- on bad reviews that I um, was able to just kind of, that I was looking for things to like about it so that I could, argue with you and my other friends Over the uh, that's always that's always possible too but uh no i really don't feel like i'm just i'm being deliberately contrarian by saying i enjoyed it like i'll definitely i definitely was like oh well i want to see what happens in the next episode and uh the the lead well i mean hugh Laurie's the lead i guess but the the guy josh gad um josh gad's character um who is like the billionaire obviously that's kind of running the whole thing um, who is the voice of Olaf in the Frozen franchise? Yeah. If you want me to name, if you want me to start quoting off um, Olaf lines, I can do the whole. I can do them all for you, Dan. At this stage of social isolation with two children, would rather you don't. Um, in fact, the less conversation about Josh Gad, the better. But go on. Um. So you know, like I really didn't enjoy. I really didn't like him at all. I know you. I know you. You have a problem with him as well. So that probably didn't help your um experience in, in enjoying the show. But, uh, yeah, I think you're all being too harsh and Inuchi is still a God and I will continue to watch the rest of the show and really enjoy it. Okay. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I've been watching other things that I'm happy to talk about. <laughs> Let's go to the next. Uh, so, uh, how, how do people actually watch that show, Dan? You've got to do the housekeeping. Uh, so in the US, it is on the HBO, the home box office. Dan, what have you been watching? Look, I've been watching a new Netflix series called Into the Night. So it was Nato that told you? Yes, I overheard it. And what explanation did they have for the sun killing people? They just said that it would start wherever there was sun. And they were right in Asia and America. It was already daylight and that's where it began. But what, what happens now? Now, Chris, here's the log line for Into the Night. I'm presuming you haven't seen this. 
No, but I have read the logline and I went, ooh. Okay. Well, the logline for those unfamiliar is this. When the sun starts to kill everything in its path, a plane full of passengers must travel at night in an attempt to escape its destructive power and find some safe place. And Fantastic. Yeah, sure. Uh, it just felt like a high concept bit of silliness. But I caught the trailer. It auto-played for me on Netflix a couple of weeks ago and it kind of caught my attention. So I popped it in my list. But then the other night I was like scratching around trying to find something to watch. I grudgingly pressed play on it. And I have to say, I'm completely glad I did. This is really great trash fun. So at first blush, I was thinking about how much it felt like the TV miniseries, The Langoliers. Like you remember The Langoliers? Yeah, the Stephen King thing, right? Yeah, so it's based on a Stephen King short story. Uh, it's about a bunch of, actually maybe it's a novel, I'm not too sure. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's based on some strangers on a plane who suddenly find themselves in a sci-fi situation. So from memory, because I haven't seen the miniseries for like 20 plus years, uh, I'm pretty sure that there was a bunch of passengers that disappeared on the flight or some nonsense like that. Um, so as I said, Something it's been like years. Uh, but the show, it's kind of like that. So a barely empty plane takes off late at night. There's a NATO soldier who uh, takes off from presumably Paris. There's a lot of French people on board. Uh, but this NATO soldier, he rushes on board with a gun he forces the pilot to take off at gunpoint and he's insistent that the sun's out to get everybody. And through the first hour of the show, everyone on board hears just enough information to believe that this guy might be telling the truth. So there's a group of like eight or nine people. Each of them have their own issues going on. There's one person's got medical issues. There's another person who's uh, swallowed some diamonds because he's like a criminal and, you know, they're now, you know, upset in his intestines. You know, everyone's got like their own little story taking place. Uh, but they've all heard this guy's story. They think he might be true. He's probably nuts, but you know, he seems like he's about right. And each of them have like a little bit of evidence that's cropped up along the way to make them think that there's some legitimacy to it. So just before they got on board, uh, a woman who was a social media influencer, I think she's big on Instagram from memory. Uh, she looks at her phone and sees all of her friends from, cause she's on like a video conference with a friend of hers. Uh, they're in New York and she sees all these people just collapsing to the ground. And she doesn't understand why, but then her flight's about to take off. She's like, oh, okay. Puts her phone in her pocket and just gets onto the plane. Not quite that much, but you know. <laughs> As you do. It was pretty much that. Okay. So like there's sort of that thing. And she's like, well, that thing that happened a few minutes ago, like that's probably tied to this and yeah, whatever. Uh, but they're all very French. So it's very sort of uh, philosophical, but not thinking it through. Uh, but anyway, like yes. at the end of the first episode, they make a final landing at night. Uh, they refuel and find some soldiers at the airport who are very supportive of the man's story. So that's effectively right. the groundwork for the rest of the series to be, hey, look, this is established. This is what the problem is. Let's go ahead and do it. And that's the first, that's the end of episode one. There's six episodes all up. And Chris, I've got to tell you, I'm desperate to know what happens next. I yeah, bought this show completely in a way I had not expected. Um, the wiki, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, the fact that it looked like the Langle is, uh, like that's totally true, but it doesn't really quite feel like that. At the end of the episode, it actually felt more like Lost. And it gave me like a really strong memory of, and I'm probably talking to you about this at the time because both of us fell in love with Lost at the same time, like back in 2004, yeah. thereabouts. Sure, uh, whatever you say. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I remember watching that very end of the first episode of Lost and remember that introduced the island. It was a two-hour premiere from memory. Uh, like a lot of strange things that happened. There were polar bears. There was like disparate strangers. And I remember just hitting the end of that episode thinking that if by the end of the season, they were off the island and doing something entirely different, I wouldn't have been entirely surprised. And as it turned out, like they stayed on the island and, you know, it took a few seasons for them to leave the island and do stuff. But I kind of like, there was just that opportunity, like an open world nature to the idea of the story, which is that, hey, look, this is specifically what we're doing right now. But there's just so much potential around this as an idea that maybe we will grow this out and become an entire sort of world of story rather than this very specific niche part of the story that's happening. And there's probably, this has been out now for about two to three weeks, I think. So there's people listening to this right now who've already seen this mini series and probably are listening to it going, Dan, you dunned ahead. Like they stay on the plane, nothing really changes. <laughs> it closes out exactly the way that it is at the end of the first episode. And that's probably fair, but I just want to talk about that experience of watching it and just feeling that this show really could go anywhere at any point. And yeah, it had a, yeah, Lost definitely had that sort of anything could happen sense about it, and that was definitely what made it compelling compelling viewing, especially that first season. Yeah, because if you think about the premise of this, like it's people out racing the sun, so that really gives people like 24 hours of plot at the very most. 
like essentially the sun comes up at some point and you know that that's in theory where everyone dies and carries on yeah 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 but if there's the potential of actually outracing the sun what happens next and so that actually yeah, yeah, does open yeah. out the world and you know there's interesting ideas it's fascinating and there's just so much potential from this first episode so, so I don't do know, they, it's, do it's they die exciting. in the sun do they die do they have to get direct sunlight to die or is it just if they're in a if they're in a space when the sun is up. Yeah, I think it's they like... They literally have to be in darkness. I think it's like if you're, standing, if you're standing in your kitchen at three o'clock in the afternoon, bam, you're dead. What if I'm in my um, Even if you bomb shelter? Down, if you pull down the blind, you're probably not really going to do it. But if you're in a plane traveling at nighttime and you're constantly in a nighttime time zone... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're okay. That's, yeah, very interesting. All right, I'm sucked into this. Is a it, uh, Wikipedia says this is a Belgian show. A Belgian, okay, Belgian, French, are, you know, same thing. Yeah, what are some other great Belgian shows? Uh, there's history? actually a fair bit of TV coming from that neck of the world right now. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they're interesting people. The Belgians. Yeah, I've always said that. Um, great stuff. All right, uh, yeah, so cool. that is on the Netflix service. Indeed. Of which we are big fans. All right. Now, Chris, Dan, usually we go let's straight get to, to the trivia. good stuff. I just want to talk about one more thing, okay, which is, <sighs> as you may be aware, <laughs> I'm a bit of a fan of The Good Wife and subsequently The Good Fight. Uh, now, hang on a second. I've just got to go and do something. You keep going and is, I'll be, is that I'll the be back in three minutes. No, no, hold yeah, on. Yeah, this, yeah. this is not here right, where you right. think it is. Okay. So since the lockdown started, I started doing a rewatch of The Good Wife and then I moved into The mm-hmm. Good Fight. So if you don't understand the difference between the two shows, it's basically this. Uh, the good wife, it's about the wife of the disgraced politician. She's got to keep food on the table after her husband goes to prison. She goes back to a career in law, which she abandoned as a younger woman because she had to start raising her family. And the show then started dealing, it became a legal drama then. And it's primarily looking at court cases involving technology, politics, the media, surveillance, all the sorts of things that, you know, kind of interesting about the world. After seven seasons, if they kill off the so. show. Hold tight. After Sorry. seven seasons, they come off the show. <laughs> okay. They jettison most of the cast in regular locations in the show, but then they follow a couple of the cast members into a new show. So it's still a legal drama. And in this version of a, one of the supporting characters played by Christine Baranski, she's now the star of the show. And the court cases that they deal with in this legal drama, they're very similar, similarly themed. So again, it's the technology, politics, the media, surveillance issues. And then there's a whole bunch of minor characters from around the world that continue on. And I've just caught up on like the most recent episodes. And because I've watched this one series that's merged and moved and evolved into this other series, I started to get really philosophical about what I've done with the achievement of this. And I have to ask, why don't I do this with all long running shows? So after about seven or eight years, like a show gets stale, why don't you essentially kill off the show, take a couple of characters that really work about the program, reformat them into something which is spiritually and just conceptually similar feeling, but provides an opportunity to reboot. So as I said, like the original version of The Good Wife was about a disgraced politician's wife. That was a really topical storyline for like, you know, the mid 2000s, but that's not really that interesting anymore in like the late 20, you know, 2010s. So as we hit in 2020, like that is a really dull, trite storyline. But with I've reconceptualized the show now, it's dealing primarily with an African-American law firm. There's issues like Me Too and Black Lives Matter, Trump. It's just livened up and contemporized the show in a way that probably wasn't possible with the previous framework mm. of it. And I think about something like, say, like Grey's Anatomy, which has been running now for like 19, 20 years. You've various yeah. law and orders, whatever. Like, why are these shows still going on? And effectively, you're just maintaining the same viewership you've had all this time without actually giving that viewership anything new or anything sort of uh, just interesting to consider. Like, it just seems like this is the perfect framework that TV should operate in. Why don't people do this? Have you seen it done before? I'm trying to think. Like, obviously, we've had spin-offs of shows years after the original show has finished. Yeah, so I mean, we've had unsuccessful spin-offs and stuff. Like, look, I mean, you can think about this in a framework of like, say, Cheers leading into Frasier. But the thing is that I would say that Frasier is actually a radically different show than Cheers ever was. Like, the style of comedy is actually quite different. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, totally that's, agree. That's very much a strict comedy. Uh, you think about, say, maybe like the Mary Tyler Moore show, which led into yeah. the series Lou Grant's. And they took Lou Grant from a, what was a sitcom to suddenly being a one-hour drama series with him as the editor of a newspaper <laughs> in San Francisco. Entirely different thing. But what's totally. really smart about The Good Wife going into The Good Fight 
is that the actual tonal nature of the show is so consistently the same. The world they created for The Good Wife still lives on. Like the same judges that you saw in A Good Wife are there in a good fight. You come across some of the same lawyers that they're up against every so often, supporting characters like that one police officer. Uh, there was a there was a storyline taking place in the second season with a whole bunch of uh, lawyers that had been killed off, and they just reference one by name, and he was like some guy who had a three episode arc, like in The Good Wife, like wow. seven years prior, and it was just dropped in as like it was just random lawyer they mentioned, but because the show has this rich history, suddenly it's like oh that's actually a character that you know, and you look him up on Wikipedia, going oh it's that guy, and yeah, you know, so yeah, carry yeah. on like. It just provides, it's contextually, not contextually, it's textually interesting. So what show would you like to see that happen with? What's a show now that's been running for too long that you would like to see a, um, to, to, to see this happen to? Okay, I know this isn't the answer you want me to give, but I want to see it happens to The Good Fight. Why can't this again evolve? <laughs> like it's been four seasons in now. Why in two or three years' time can't it evolve again? Like maybe it's not about a law firm anymore. Maybe the investigators from the show go off and form a private investigator company or something and go off and do that Like or become like investigators for a corporate company doing something else. And you can take the same sort of themes and apply it to a new workplace environment. Like that's possible. Like I just want to see the show continue to evolve and move. But in terms of what other shows would you want to see happen, here's the rub with it all. I think this only works for broadcast shows. Because yeah. these are the shows that just keep on going on and on and on, as opposed yeah. to something like HBO, where they think, you know, seven seasons, like that's completely the end where we're tapping things off. Um, so I don't know, like, how many good broadcast shows are there anymore? Like, not many. So it's hard yeah. to really come up with a good example of something I should continue with. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, I like that. But anyway, thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, this shows analysis. I wish they'd done that. So, like, yeah, the, yeah. ER, for example. Like, you know, after yeah, yeah. like 10 years, why not just cut that off and, you know, take out like some of the good doctors and go somewhere else, <laughs> open up a private practice somewhere. Who knows? Like there's just, there's opportunities for this kind of thing. And it's never really been embraced in this way. It was an interesting thought that I had. But Chris. Maybe the good, maybe the good, the success of the good fight will cause other people to think of similar things. Look, maybe, probably not. I see you digging around there in your um, briefcase looking for the quiz and I'm very excited. This is exactly it. So as you would be aware, uh, when we're actually doing the quiz, I need my briefcase, but I also need a briefcase that you have there so we can both turn the key at the exact same time that will open up the, yes. <laughs> That's right. the, the quiz. So Chris, each week on the show, we do wind out with a quiz. This is an opportunity for me to ask you questions. You ask me questions. Uh, each week we run through 10 questions each. Um, at the end of 10 weeks, we'll have both answered 50 questions, which I kind of feel might be next the next two weeks. Mm. I've lost count. I should have kept the tally so going. Have you, yeah, have you, been, have you been adding up all the scores or are you just going to make it up at the end? I've been, so you won. I've been meaning to add them up. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll go back and check them out. I'm sure you will. Yeah. But anyway, Chris, as you're aware, each week the quiz is themed differently. And this mm -hmm. week, boy, have I got a humdinger for you. We're going to talk mm, about TV redheads. <laughs> okay. Okay. So there's only one I'm place here for to, this. Yeah. There's only one place to start. Okay. So I'm going to get you to name three TV shows that Lucille Ball starred in that had the name Lucy in the title. Okay. okay. Well, there's, I love Lucy. Yes. Ding. Um, Lucy loves Ricky. Ah, I can't give that to you, I'm afraid. Lucy loves Desi. No. No. Okay, let me kick, let me try another one. Um there was the Lucille Ball show. No. Oh. Um, I still love Lucy. No. I used to love Lucy. No. I love Lucy now. No. <laughs> um Lucy loves no, okay. I'll stop just saying Lucy and other random words. How come I only know I love Lucy? Which I've watched about which I've watched a lot of. Do you remember the period where it was played at like four PM or something after Look, I remember watching three years. I remember watching one of the versions of Lucy and they used to play that at like nine o'clock in the morning on channel nine. But I grew up in a different state to you did, so I think that they yeah, I think I used to watch it in the afternoon, but you never know because I did spend a lot of time watching TV during the day in those early 20s. Um, you'll have to tell me, Dan. Okay. Do I get a third for I Love Lucy? So, yeah, you get like, yeah, 33% of a point. Great. Okay, so I would have accepted I Love Lucy. I would have accepted Here's Lucy, The Lucy Show, Life with Lucy, or The Lucy Desi Comedy Hour. 
Lucy Desi Comedy Hour was, I thought, yeah, I thought there was Lucy Loves Ricky or something like that. But anyway, all right, continue. Okay, Good continue question. On. Okay. The musical instrument, sorry, what musical instrument did Joan Holloway play on Mad Men? Clarinet. No, she played. No, the- harp. No, piano. Oh, God. You, anyway. You, you're so cl- You were much closer with harp. Okay. She played the piano <laughs> accordion. Piano accordion. Oh, wow. That's very quirky. It's funny. I don't remember that. Okay. Now uh, let's continue Great on question. with the theme of TV redheads. Who originally voiced Yosemite Sam? Oh my God. You obviously know this one. I know this one. I'm just blanking on it. Was that Orson a pun? Wells. I'm just kidding. No. Who is it? Oh, it was Mel Blank. Mel Blank. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you that point. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was a pun and you and I and I nailed it. Okay. Here's one that you're not going to nail, but it's still a fun bit of trivia. <laughs> Kurtwood Smith starred in that 70s show as the character Red Foreman. What character did producers originally want for the role? Oh, sorry. I said what, what character, what actor? what actor did producers originally want for the role? All right. Can you give me some clues? Does he look like the actor that played Red Foreman? No. But I'll say this. He is ready and waiting for the opportunity. <laughs> he wouldn't have turned it down? Well, he's always waiting. Um, he's still waiting. Oh, that feels like a clue. Um, Seth Rogen. Okay, very close, but it's Seth Rogen's spiritual cousin, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. Oh, my God, how good would that have been? <laughs> that actually would have been really... You could, you could have totally, totally done that. Now, obviously, he couldn't appear as Red Foreman at the time because he had commitments to Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, that's right. He was in demand yeah. as Walker. Okay. Excellent who, trivia. Who appeared in more episodes of The X-Files? Was it Mulder or Scully? Scully. Yes. And why? Because Mulder was kidnapped by aliens for a little while. Yeah. I mean, I also would have accepted that David Duchovny left the show for a while, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Let's keep going. Who starred as Harry Bird in the US TV drama, The Birds of Paradise? I'd like to remind you, this is, this is TV redheads. This was a, um, yeah, yeah. Um, this was a 90s show. Correct. It starred Jennifer Love Hewitt. Mm-hmm. And that famous redhead. We may have already. Sorry. Seth Seth Green. It was Seth Green. (laughs) (laughs) It was, wasn't it? It was. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. Okay. Uh, Let's continue on. I get a point. You get a point. Pamela Beasley from The Office, full stop. She married Jim Halpert halfway through the series run and her name changes. My question to you is this. What is her full name by the time we reach the final episode of the show? Do you want me to repeat that? Yeah. Pamela Beasley. She married yeah. Jim Halpert midway through the series run and her name changes yeah. at that point. But what is her full yeah. name by the time we reach the final episode of the show? Pamela Beasley Halpert. Give me the big obvious gong for being obvious thing. and wrong. When she married Jim Halpert, her name is exactly the same as her full name by the time we reach the final episode of the show. And while that's completely correct, what you said, I actually asked for her full name, which is Pamela Morgan Beasley Halper, because her middle name is Morgan. <laughs> I'll happily, I'll happily lose that point. Very good. <laughs> okay, we'll stick with the office. Amy Adams played the character of Katie in three episodes of The Office. What event led to her being ousted from the show? Oh, and it's one, it's one of the all-time great episodes of the show. Oh. Amy Adams. Yep. What was her character name? Her name was Katie. She in the was show. in three episodes. Like, I'll give you this clue. It was in season two. Oh, season two. See, I've been watching the newest ones lately. I haven't gone back to the beginning for a while. Big mistake. I'm watching the um, James Spader episodes. Nah, big mistake. Um, uh, let, me, let me have a guess. Uh, something to do with Dwight. Um, she, <laughs> sure. She had an affair with Dwight. <laughs> no. So the final episode she's on is the booze cruise episode. Oh, wow. Roy proposes to Pam. Jim jumps Katie immediately because uh, she asks the question to him, will that ever be us? <laughs> and you see it from the distance and no, that doesn't no, happen for them. Poor old Katie. She shouldn't have tried to get in the way of the greatest love of all time though. Exactly. Okay, okay, two more questions. Okay, and this is, of course, the category <laughs> oh, TV redheads. the office, but anyway, that's all right. That'll be next time. In episode 96 of Seinfeld, Elaine suspects her boyfriend, Ned, might be a communist. 
Why? What leads her to believe this might be true? Because of his drab clothing. <laughs> I will accept that. <laughs> the evidence was he reads the Daily Worker and he yeah, wears right. land drab olive covered clothing. <laughs> Very good. Uh, okay. Episode 96, did you say? That's quite late. Yeah. It's the episode The Race. Season five, I guess. 96, right? And you, of course, no. really, uh Season five. We'll say five. I don't know. Somewhere around there. Anyway. Yeah. yeah and of course you realize why it's a category, like why it's in a TV redheads category. Yes. Cause yeah. she's a communist. Exactly. Better dead than a right to Chris. That's what I've yes. always said. Okay. <laughs> That's what they say in Brisbane. Final question. How many Lassie TV series have there been? Lassie? Yeah. Oh man. I didn't know this because I looked it up for you before. It's <laughs> an know. insane amount. It's like seven. No, it's like, I'm going to say 35. 35 is a little high, don't you think? <laughs> it went for a long time. 17 then. No, no, not seasons. How many different series have there been of Lassie? Oh, how many different series? In the same okay. way that Lucille Ball has been in five different yeah, shows. Yeah, yes. All yeah. right. Um, there was definitely a few. I'm going to say eight. Eight? That's where you're looking yeah. at? Seven. Seven. Oh. Okay. I thought I was going too high with eight, but I thought it was... Heaps too high. But in typical Dan Barrett fashion, I've got one final question for you, which if you get this one, you can, it's the gamble question. If you want to take the question and get it right, then you score 10 points for the entire game. Yeah. Do you want to risk it all? Definitely want to. Yeah. Because I think I've only got like two points. Yeah. Okay. What am I risking here? Exactly. I think you're on a good good thing here. (laughs) Good good, good decision, Chris. Okay. Okay. Go for it. Which 70s sitcom featured a guest appearance by Lassie? 70s sitcom. Yep. Okay. Um, and I'll give you this clue. It's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, I'm going to guess the only one that I can think of off the top of my head now. Oh, it doesn't seem right. Seems like a stretch, Dan, <laughs> to say. No, let me think about it a little bit more. I want to say Taxi because that's the best sitcom from the 70s. Um, but I can't look quite the Mary Tyler Moore show is another very good sitcom from the 70s, as is the Bob Newhart <laughs> show. But I mean, Taxi is definitely but, one of the top three. But I can't imagine a c- scenario where Lassie would appear in there. Does Lassie play Lassie in this in this sitcom, or or is it just a is it one of the Lassie dogs in the sitcom as a different dog? It is the character of Lassie. <laughs> It's not like the same dog was in, you know, every Lassie incarnation here. <laughs> no, but they were all um, descendants of the original they Lassie is, I, the, is the legend. I, anyway. I actually can't confirm whether this is officially one of the Lassie progeny. But, but it was the actor, but it was the character Lassie. Correct. Uh, licensed, I would imagine, from the MGM studios. Jeez, <laughs> uh, I'm going to lock in taxi, even though I'm sure it's wrong. I, I feel like if I had like three days to think about this, it would I would be able to get to the to the right point. Look, we don't have all but, night. Um, that's it. Okay, you're saying taxi. You tell me how, yeah. Okay. First of all, that's ridiculous. <laughs> also, secondly, <laughs> congratulations, you just got ten points. Get out of town. <laughs> I can't believe that. Please tell me the context that, that made Lassie appear in the show. The context of the episode is this. Uh, the character played by Judd Hirsch. Uh, he, yep. he hits a dog John. with his car. <laughs> yeah, you, you can see where this is going. <laughs> anyway, and the dog is Lassie. The dog's Lassie. No, okay, but is it like... How is the dog Lassie? The dog is the actor Lassie? Okay, I can have to say here, I don't actually remember the episode specifically myself <laughs> and I only have a short synopsis to work from here. Oh my God. My understanding though is that it's in the first season and I've been meaning to watch this since I discovered this amazing piece of trivia. The dog or the car is the name of the episode apparently. Unbelievable. So with that, wow. I think that you are definitely now ahead by quite a margin on this I am quiz. Gonna win, I'm going to win this quiz because of your crazy way of putting in. I'll tell you what, I'll, do one, I'll give you a, an all or nothing question next week on whatever the quiz may be, if, we, if indeed there is another week, which I think there will be. I think there's like two more, like I have a yeah. round, you have a round and we're done. Your stunning victory brings us to the end of yet another podcast. <laughs> 
You know, I've got to tell you, I think you did. You gave me too much of a clue when you said it's a good one. Yeah, no, I shouldn't have. Shouldn't have done it. You, sh- you shouldn't have gone there because you know how much I love it. This is one of the things we've bonded over in the past. But like, Lassie could have um, been in an episode of Maud. <laughs> that's true, and I know you do like Maud. Maybe all in a family. I, I, maybe I, even a good times. I, I assumed it was going to be yeah something that you knew quite well uh, that I didn't know and that you were trying to. Um, destroy me. But no, in fact, you gave me a free kick and I'm very appreciative of that. No, like the bonus question at the end always needs to have like the potential that you could walk away with it all. Yeah, no, true. Okay, I'll think of that next week when I make a ridiculous one for you that you can't possibly get. Because like, keep in mind, like the other time I did the bonus round was like a series of three Simpsons questions, which one of them was a little bit hard, I'll admit, but it was still in the realm of possibility you could have gotten it. I don't think I got any of them, did I? Maybe one. You got one of them. <laughs> um, absolute pleasure, Dan. Hey, I've got an idea. Let's do this podcast again next week. Yeah, I could do that. Let's do <laughs> that. Okay. Well, now that we've got like something to live for, uh, folks, this has been tell. Uh, folks, <laughs> <laughs> folks, this has been always be watching. We'll be back next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell your friends about it. Share it on whatever podcast app that you're using. If it's your Spotify, your Pocket Casts, your Overcast, your Apple Podcast cast, you know, there's all sorts of opportunities for you to share the podcast, share the love. Check us out on the web, alwaysbewatching.com. There's a daily newsletter you can subscribe to there. There's some TV recommendations that come out on a Friday. Um, there's, of course, this podcast. And as of next week, there'll be a bit of a sound improvement on it. We've got some, got some stuff happening. It's pretty exciting. Excellent. Yeah, made some investments. I can't wait till we can do it in the same room again, Dan. That's going to be fun too. I'm not even sure how to I'm do that. Forward- <laughs> I'm not looking forward to a lot of other aspects of social anxiety, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing your face in the flesh again sometime soon. Never heard that before. <laughs> anyway, folks, this is getting a bit fruity. No we'll be back next week before. with another Always Be Watching. We'll see you then. Yeah.